This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Now, did we meet? We met once at SBL meeting. Yes, and I remember I was surprised at how reformed and conservative you were. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master, and today we are delighted to welcome as our guest, Dr. Robert Kara. He is the Hugh and Sally Reeves Professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary Charlotte Campus and the Provost and Chief Academic Officer for RTS. He has been at RTS since 1993. He's authored a number of books, the most recent of which is called Cracking the Foundation of the New Perspective on Paul. Some of you may have heard of the New Perspective on Paul. Others of you may not have. But that's what we're going to talk to Dr. Kara about today. So thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Jonathan. So let me just begin with that simple question. And I know it's really not a simple question, but maybe you can help explain a little bit. What is the new perspective on Paul? Correct. That is not a simple question. Uh, uh, the new perspective on Paul, in the end, ends up saying that the traditional view of justification is wrong. Uh, and the traditional Protestant view. Uh, now, how do they get there? And here's where it gets a little complicated, but I'll give a shot at it. We all agree that the traditional view, I'll start with the traditional view and say it in a slightly different way. The traditional view says that Paul contrasts two soteriological systems, two ways to get to heaven, two ways to be declared righteous before God. The one way by works, by human works, either all works or a combination of faith and works. And we call that righteousness by the law or works righteousness or legalistic righteousness. And then Paul contrasts that with righteousness by grace or justified by grace, or which includes the work of Christ and it includes our faith in Christ. And so these are two systems that are contrasting each other, one by human works one by the works of Christ, if we could say it that way, by grace. Okay, so what is the new perspective? They're, in the end, going to say that's wrong. Here's how they get there. In addition to a new perspective on Paul, they also have a new perspective on Judaism. So they start with a new perspective on Judaism. What is their new perspective on Judaism? They say that during Paul's time, Nobody, no Jewish person believed in works righteousness. No one believed you got to heaven by works or partial works. Now, if no one believed that, therefore, the traditional view, which said that Paul was arguing against works righteousness, it looks like he's arguing against works righteousness, but he could not be arguing against works righteousness because no one had that view. So if Paul wasn't having that view of works righteousness, what view did he have? And they come up with this view that what Paul really meant by works was not legalistic works righteousness, but just simply Sabbath, circumcision, and food law. So all Paul was saying is, in the New Testament time, you don't have to follow Sabbath, food laws, and circumcision. And that's what works of the law were to Paul. Now, if that's works of the law, then what is justification? So what does Paul mean by justification? It can't be the old view. And then here, 
some of the new perspective people disagree with each other, but one standard view by a guy named Wright and a guy named Dunn is that you sort of get into Christianity by faith, but you stay in by works, and in the end, you're justified by human works, although they would say that the Holy Spirit helps you do the works. So in the end, their view of justification is a combination of faith and spirit helping you do works, but you're ultimately declared righteous based on your works, as opposed to the traditional view based on the works of Christ. That's my shot at it, Jonathan. Do I need to clean that up? I, I have to say, I think that's one of the best, you know, short synopses I've heard on the topic. So that was that was very helpful. But I do want to sort of take it step by step and talk about the end result of that. So the theological implications, I know from from your work that you disagree with that view of intertestamental Judaism, and therefore you disagree with that definition of what works is. And so I want to get to that. But let's talk just about the end game. If Dunn and Wright are correct, then what do you see as the implications of that for our theology, for our understanding of justification by faith? In other words, why would this be a problem if this is true? <laughs> well said, well asked question and well said. It's a very big topic. What it affects your view of what is sin? One aspect of sin, there's many angles to sin, but one aspect of sin that the Bible brings up a lot is you're trying to get to heaven based on your own works. So that would sort of be out. So ministers preaching the gospel wouldn't be concentrating on that point. Another point is, why does a Christian do good works, or the technical word sanctification? There's many motives in the Bible to do sanctification, but the motive should never be so that I will merit points and God will declare my good works part of my reason for getting into heaven. So you would always have a mixed motive. Being sinful, It's we have a mixed motive to start with, but at your best, you would have a mixed motive of why you're doing good works. It would be partially to be declared righteous at the end. And then even more important it takes away from the glory of Christ. Part of the glory of Christ is he did the work for us, not ourselves. The whole Trinity interacting in our salvation and doing all of the work, or to say it another way, the Lord is our Savior. It's not he gave us the ability to save ourselves. Those are at least three angles there. Jonathan, do you have any additional angles? No, there? I mean, I think that's helpful because what you're saying then is it really does get to the heart of the most central doctrines, uh, the, the kinds of things on which the church stands and falls, certainly the kinds of things on which a reformed understanding of the church and of theology in general is based. So, no, I think that really raises the stakes. And now let's get into some of the details you talked about how the, in the new perspective on Paul, there's a kind of different understanding of what the Judaism of Paul's day and Jesus' day was about, what it was saying. And, and people call that Second Temple Judaism or Intertestamental Judaism or whatever, but, but that that Judaism wasn't actually teaching salvation by works. I wonder if you could address that, that question. What was the Judaism of Paul's day really teaching? A good point. So again, 
when we say the new perspective on Paul, it's actually two new perspectives. It's the new perspective of Judaism and then how that relates to a therefore new perspective on Paul. So back to the new perspective on Judaism, as you properly said, sometimes technically called Second Temple Judaism. My view would be that proper Judaism, Judaism following the Old Testament, was grace-oriented. So there were some grace-oriented people, obviously, during Jesus's time and during Paul's time. But we have many what we call Second Temple Judaism documents that, to me, are clearly pure works righteousness, and some are partial works righteousness oriented. And so in my book, I go through a whole bunch of these documents and show that they have a works righteousness understanding. And one reason that New Perspective scholars and people like me would disagree is they have a very fuzzy view of what is works righteousness. That would be uh, one difference. And so I go through and show all the spots and uh, show the reader long quotes of works righteousness in Second Temple Judaism. Now, I would also say that my view is that Paul's view is it wasn't just his current people. Some of them had a works righteousness view. He also argues that in the history of Israel, certain times, individuals and a vast majority of the people were works righteousness. So my view of Paul is that he saw works righteousness in his own time, and he also saw it going back into the Old Testament. But the focus of the book is about the Second Temple Judaism works righteousness angles. If I could then add another complication to this, there's another chapter in the book which has to do with what liberals call, liberal theologians call, Deutero-Pauline books. Your readers may not be aware that most liberal scholars of Paul's 13 books, they think he only wrote seven. So there's six that he did not write, and they call those Deutero, the second Paul, Deutero-Pauline books. And in those books are many statements that seem to be so clear that Paul is contrasting works righteousness and salvation by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Titus 3, 4 through 7, and 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. And when you look at these texts, they're so clear. But in fact, some new perspective authors say, yes, yes, they do contrast works righteousness and salvation by faith. However, Paul didn't write them. So they have this kind of view that, well, yes, those texts contrast legalistic righteousness with salvation by faith. Just Paul didn't write them. And then I point out in the book that once you admit that, then you're admitting that at least somebody during the Second Temple Judaism had a works righteousness view. And that seems to go against their general comments that there are no works righteousness people in Second Temple Judaism. I'll stop there and let you ask a question, Jonathan. No, it's a great point because you and I are persuaded that Paul did write all of those books, but what you're saying is even if he didn't, then even the second Paul is arguing against something real. And if there's something real that's a kind of consensus or well-known position within Judaism, that, that does undermine the whole thing. So 
Now, when you interacted with this and when you interacted with particularly the Jewish sources, were there things that you did shift in a little? I mean, is there a way in which we need to be more nuanced in our understanding of what Jewish teaching was? Or did you kind of when you looked at these sources and worked through them, you just said, no, no, the traditional understanding that Judaism in the main taught works righteousness, not the Old Testament, but the way people had understood it unfortunately, in their own sin, they, they sort of imported that. Did you, in other words, did you modify it all? Did you shift? Do we need to read these sources to re-understand Paul or at least nuance our understanding of Paul? In the end, no, not change Paul. Now, it is true that some of my heroes, say of a century ago in the Reformed faith, when they would say the word Judaism, they would imply, now they knew that not every single person in Judaism, because there were people in the Bible Jesus interacted with that were positive, but they would imply that almost every angle, almost every person in Judaism was works righteousness oriented. I mean, reading the New Testament, again, there's uh, people, positive people Jesus interacts with, but some of the sources have a fairly good grace angle. So if anything, if you say all of the sources are works righteousness oriented, then that would be wrong. Your comment about in the main, I probably would say that in the main, they were works righteousness oriented, but there's a lot of exceptions to that. And there, one thing is there's just some documents that seem to be so grace oriented at one point, but then at other places, they're very works-oriented, and it ends up with some semi, what we would call technically semi-Pelagian, or a mixture of faith and works, which Paul would also ultimately call a works theology. But I think it'd be more accurate to say, in the main, uh, Judaism was semi-Pelagian, with examples of wonderful grace-oriented, and example of pure works-oriented, sort of on both sides of it. Dr. Carroll, one last question. I'd recommend to our listeners your book, Cracking the Foundation of the New Perspective on Paul. But for a listener who's sitting here thinking, boy, I've never even really considered these issues at all, is there a book, and I'm thinking, is there a book on justification or on Paul that you would recommend as a kind of introduction before someone might even tackle, you know, how was Paul engaging with the Judaism of his day? Is there a book or a few books or sources that you might recommend for our listeners on justification or on Paul? Yes, there's many books on arguing against new perspective on the Paul side. My book concentrates on the background of Judaism. On the Paul side and interacting with New Perspective, I might recommend Guy Waters' book on justification and New Perspective on Paul, and that's about 10 years old. About two or three years old is Schreiner's book on justification in the Matthew Barrett edited series on the five solas. Those might be two I would recommend that are relating primarily about Paul. Yep. Very good. Those are excellent recommendations. You know, the Guy Waters one, as you said, a few years old, but a good book, the Schreiner book, an excellent volume as well. Dr. Kara, thanks so much for your time. I know you're busy and we really appreciate you giving us your time. And thanks especially too for your 
for your work on this important topic. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go. During this episode, Dr. Kara mentioned a couple of very helpful books, and I wanted to review those for our listeners. The first is by Guy Waters. It's called Justification and the New Perspectives on Paul, a Review and Response. The second one, and the one that I would really commend, it's a recent book, it's a good introduction, is called Faith Alone, The Doctrine of Justification, What the Reformers Taught and Why It Still Matters. That's by Thomas Schreiner. And then for listening, we'd like to give you the opportunity to win a copy of Dr. Kara's own book, which we discussed today, Cracking the Foundation of the New Perspective on Paul. So if you'd like to uh, win that book, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, and we'll have a link for you to enter your name to win Cracking the Foundation of the New Perspective on Paul. As always, I want to remind you that the Alliance exists based on donors like you. If you'd like to support the work of the Alliance, you can do that at AllianceNet.org or PlaceForTruth.org. We'd also encourage you to tell others about this podcast, which can be downloaded via the website PlaceForTruth.org or through iTunes. And thanks again for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.